0: Welcome to the New Books Network. And we're live. So hello, everybody around the world. And a special hello to Susan Johnson-Taylor, who's back on the show. Welcome back, Susan.
1: Hi, Mel. Thank you for having me back.
0: What are you talking about? A year ago, we were talking about a baby that hadn't hatched. And uh, next Tuesday, it's launching.
1: That's right.
0: So before you tell us about the launch and your wonderful, colorful book, um, I have to um, remind myself to mention that this is the Children's Literature Channel, the New Books Network, and I'm your host, Mel Rosenberg, and Susan, now we can have fun. So tell us all about your beautiful new book.
1: All right, launching officially launching next Tuesday with Gnome Road is Animals in Surprising Shades, Poems About Earth's Colorful Creatures, and this is a STEM poetry collection that celebrates animals in all kinds of unusual shades from the pink manta ray to the violet snail, the Picasso bug. It goes in rainbow order and it presents different poetic forms and also introduces kids to all kinds of different animals and STEM concepts as well.
0: Okay. It's also STEAM. The STEM also and STEAM. steam. Yes.
1: STEM and STEAM.
0: Okay. What, uh, tell the people who don't know what the difference is.
1: All right, so STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and math, and STEAM is all of those um, terms plus the A is for arts.
0: Okay, and, and you have really um, done a magnificent job here, because this is not only nonfiction for kids, this is a book of poetry. And not only that, different kinds of poetry um let, let's start out sh- show the people who can watch the rest of you who are listening to the podcast are gonna have to run out and buy this book it's gorgeous it's <laughs> poetry show us Susan thank you and talk a-, a little bit about the illustrator
1: sure the illustrator is Annie Baxt and she just did a beautiful job with the colors and the and the mm-hmm. textures and the different different creatures and habitats. Um, So each spread presents a different animal and a different poetic form. And that is my way of celebrating the biodiversity found in our world. So all different kinds of animals in different colors, shapes, sizes, um, species, and they all make our world more vibrant and more beautiful.
0: Absolutely. And um, well, you know, there are other books, I, I hasten to say many other books on incredible animals. Um, I hope to have one someday, uh, but I've never seen one in which um, the poetry and the importance of poetry runs alongside the uh, the amazingness of the animals. Um, read us a poem and, and and show us, and then you have the little sidebars on what kind of poem it is. It's sure. incredible.
1: All right. I'm going to read the very first poem, which is called Animals in Surprising Shades, and this is sort of a call to action for kids to explore the book and explore the animals found in our world. So it starts, ever seen a purple snail, a spotted newt with orange tail? If you'd like to take a look, please turn the pages of this book. For nature's full of brilliant hues, vivid pinks to navy blues, come marvel at the painted bugs, speckled frogs, and ruffled slugs.
0: Wonderful. And um, can you uh, read us another one? What, what kind of a, what kind of a, a meter is that? So
1: this is um, this poetic form is an octave, which is an eight-line poem, which is kind of like um, like the eight limbs of an octopus. So I thought that was a fun way to um to open the book and let me find another poem
0: or the eight notes of a scale
1: there you go exactly bringing it back to music i love that all right so this poem is a quatrain which is a four-line poem and it's all about the blue-footed booby which is fun to say no candy hearts or rose bouquets no string quartets or moonlit gaze for ladies seeking true romance it's all about his clumsy dance. And that is because
0: this is the one with the blue shoes.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Can you show everybody? I love this. Yeah. It's not, they're not shoes. They're actually his feet, but right. Right.
1: So the male blue footed boobies do a funny little courtship dance and that's how they attract their mates. So that's, That's why the poem talks about his his clumsy dance and how male blue footed boobies, they don't woo with roses or candy hearts or Moonlight walks like some humans do. It's all about doing their silly little dance. And that's also how they got their name because uh, let's see, it's based on the Spanish word bobo meaning silly or foolish. And European explorers um, gave them their name because of their, their funny little dance.
0: Okay, but you know what I'm reminded of? Because we are both musicians and we'll get to that later is um, I I think it was Fats Waller that has this song, Your Feet's Too Big.
1: I think you're right.
0: Right <laughs> down in Harlem at a table for two, there were four of us, honey, me, or big feet, and you. So I'm thinking that given the uh, fact that you're a singer and a musician um, and you're out of Austin, right? Mm-hmm. And there are so many talented musicians in Austin. You should find somebody to put your book to music and Ooh, then you can and then you can sing the poems when you do the school visits. Oh my goodness.
1: Oh, that would be fun. If,
0: if you don't find somebody, I will write the music
1: well I do I do have someone in mind for that, and one of the one of the activities that, um, that I wanted we to do at my launch party and that hopefully I'll do at school visits is someone suggested to me that for kinesthetic learners, people who learn kind of hands-on in action, we um, will do a little motion for each for each poem, and that way they can feel the poetry in, the, in their bodies and see it in motion. So, for instance, that first poem that I read, we could be looking left and right and exploring. We could do a funny little dance for the blue-footed boobies. I think that's going to be really fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, but you can find somebody to put it to music. It's not mutually exclusive.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I love that um,
0: idea. The blue-faded boobies with the joy, joy. <laughs> Somebody's written that. Okay. So um tell us, because last time you were on, you talked a little bit about your your youth and your childhood. Um, but um we didn't talk about your love for poetry and your penchant to be a poetess in so many different formats.
1: Yeah, so uh I don't I don't have it handy, but when I was helping my mom clean out some old old pictures and documents um at her condo, we came across a picture that I'd probably drawn maybe in 3rd or 4th grade um and it said something like my my greatest wish is to become an author and a poet and I saw that and I was like, "Oh, little Susan, it's happening." Um, like we had, I remember maybe when I was in third or fourth grade, we had like a show and tell night where people would bring in collections like rock collections and troll doll collections, because it was the nineties. And, um, I sat at a little table, I'd printed out several of my poems, um, and mounted them on construction paper. And I sat at my table and I had my, my poems, um for show and tell. I think I've always been, I've always loved to read and I've always been fascinated by language. So, and also the the rhythm of language and music. Um, so I think it was a natural natural fit for me. I've always, always been drawn to that.
0: Okay, but you don't always write in rhyme. I've seen others of your stories.
1: Right, yeah, I also write in prose too.
0: So uh, can you open this wonderful book and read us another poem in another style?
1: sure let's see okay this is a poem
0: yes that's my favorite one.
1: Oh, and you know that that's a lot of people's favorite poem in fact of the poems that I wrote in my first draft this is one of the few surviving poems a lot of these poems have have gone through many iterations and I've tossed out poems and written new poems. But this is is one of the surviving poems from the from the very first version of this book. So this in case you didn't get a good look at it is a concrete poem, which is a poem that takes the shape of its subject in this case, a pink manta ray. And as far as we know, there's only one pink manta ray in the entire world, which makes it very special. It is 11 feet and it was spotted um, off the coast of Australia. And scientists believe that its unusual coloring may be caused by a condition called erythmicism, and that makes the, the skin appear pink or red. So it's it's very unusual and one of a kind. So this poem says, in a sea of teal, a blink of pink, fins flutter, Graceful as a ballerina, and strong like a blue whale, somersaulting between coral reefs. As fish nibble on his skin, the gentle giant breaths. Once clean, he darts off to a new adventure.
0: And can you show everybody again? It's in the form of a manta ray. It's just just brilliant.
1: Thank you. And then the little curvy tail is the word adventure.
0: It's great. Thank so, you. So, Susan, uh, this is uh, the beginning of uh, what I hope is going to be a very, very uh, illustrious career as, a, uh, as an original children's author, but you have written about 12 other children's books, mm-hmm. uh, work, work for Hire. Um, That's right. I, I've never seen them. Um, you're not proud of them?
1: No, I have. Let's see. I have some on the shelf right here.
0: Of course you do.
1: Is the dog who changed history, which is about Alexander Graham Bell's dog, Truve. And this dog really did exist. We have no proof that the dog influenced Alexander's invention of the telephone. Um, But this is a fun kind of historical fiction imagining of how Truve might've been involved. Um, kind of like if you know Ben and Me, that's about Ben and his pet mouse, um, Amos. Um, they, the publisher came to me and wanted a, a Ben and Me type story, but with a different inventor and a different um, pet. So that's in this book. And then my very first work for hire book is Ride right Across Time, which is a historical fiction um, graphic novel. Book and this is about the American Revolutionary heroine, um, Sybil Ludington, who actually rode further than Paul Revere, and she was just a teenager. Um, so her story isn't as well known. But I thought it would be fun um, to introduce her to to young readers.
0: That's wonderful. So um, you've you've uh, had success in this, and actually, you're one of the. Um interviewees on this uh, podcast videocast who make a living writing
1: that's
0: right so you sit all day and write
1: so
0: i'm not sitting now what does your day look like i mean you are so you 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 have uh, you work for companies you write content you write books for hire you write your own manuscripts which are fantastic and you're a musician, singer, a uh, thespian. Um, how, how does your time, how do you divide your time?
1: Well, it really it really depends on the day. Like this week and obviously next week, I'm doing a lot of promotions for, for the book, which is very exciting. I'm also working on um, a project, a writing project for an ed tech company, um, teaching parts of speech and grammatical concepts to third graders, which is really cool and fun. And um, yeah, I have some other projects, writing for adults. So it's just a matter of you know, figuring out what are the deliverables that I need to get done this week. And then um, fitting in blog and podcast interviews and drafting new manuscripts and social media promotions and, and all of that.
0: And then, and then the singing.
1: And the singing, yes.
0: So you're a busy, busy lady. So um, last time we talked. On the show, we talked about um, Susan as an eight-year-old or nine-year-old. That seems to be your sweet spot. Is there any particular reason that you can remember? Was this a a year in your life that you were very happy, very sad? Um, You know, I'm always interested in how we get stuck with our five-year-olds or eight-year-olds. I'm stuck with my five-year-old and you're stuck with eight or (laughs) nine-year-old Susan. And actually, you kind of alluded to it, you know, when you, when you, you know, went back in time, like your book, and and said, um, Oh, you know, um, hey, eight year old, Susan, who wrote that in her diary or whatever, look, we have a book.
1: Yeah. Um, so that would have been around third or fourth grade. and. Fourth grade was a big was a big deal for me because in my elementary school, uh, I went to Lilja Elementary School in Natick, Massachusetts, and that went kindergarten through fourth grade. So the fourth graders were like the big kids on campus. So you got to do the fourth grade play and the fourth graders did a did a business unit. And so we made jewelry and sold sold jewelry so that we could learn about entrepreneurship. And so. I think that like in my mind, leading up to fourth grade, that was like, wow, that's really like, that's going to be that's going to be my year. And that's like a big deal. I get to do all these big kid things before I move on to middle school. And of course, um, so I get to fourth grade, I get to do all those fun things like the fourth grade play and the the business unit and, and all that all those fun activities that I had watched other kids do for several years. And then that summer, we moved for my dad's job, we moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And then suddenly I wasn't going into middle school. Like I thought I had kind of like a bonus elementary school year. Um, it was fifth grade was, was, were the big kids, um, on campus at the elementary school. So it's a little anticlimactic because all of fourth grade you hear about next year, you're going to middle school and it's such a big deal. But I think that like for a long time in elementary school, I had built up like fourth grade is like the year. It's, it's so big and important. And, and you're the, the, the big kids in the school and you're a role model for the younger kids. And I just had so much um, anticipation for that year.
0: And a, you had a, a, another year instead as it were. <laughs>
1: yeah, I did,
0: yeah. Okay, so now um, the other important question is, Um, You are one of the 1,000 or one of the 5,000, who's counting, um, authors who have a children's book out, a picture book out with a traditional press. And how did this great fortune, not that you don't deserve it, but you do, but how did this happen? Yeah,
1: so I had been submitting to agents and I was fortunate enough to get her advice and resubmit. Um, which means that they see potential in the work, but they want you to do some revisions and send it back to them. And the feedback that I got was that this agent loved the pink manta ray poem, um, like you do, but she wanted the other poems to de- to deliver that same level of surprise and wonder. So I took so se- I stopped submitting that project, and I took several months to really like reevaluate each poem. Um, I discarded a lot of poems. I changed the animals that I was featuring so that they could deliver as much surprise and wonder as possible. Um, and then in, and I got a critique at an SDBWI conference. And then in the fall, I sent it back to that agent and I sent it to some some other agents. And the feedback was that they all loved the writing, but they just weren't sure about selling another another poetry collection because as you mentioned there are a ton of children's poetry collections on the market I feel like about half of them are written by Jane Yolen because she is a legend um, and I use some of her books as mentor texts for my project but I really believed in the work and my critique partners really believed in the work so they told me you know even if you don't get an agent like you have got to this has to be a book so I said at the end of the end of 2020, I said, you know, if I still don't have an agent in January, I'm going to start submitting this directly to editors because I really believe that this this book has potential. So that's exactly what I did. And I saw that Gnome Road was a brand new publisher and their manuscript wish list mentioned that they were among other things. um, You know, the, the list is very eclectic fiction, nonfiction, rhyme, prose. And one of the things that the editor, Sandra Sutter, was looking for was lyrical texts, exploring nature, um, steam texts, poetry. And I said, well, I have all of those things in this project. So I sent it to her in March of 2021. Um, They're only open certain times of the year. They have open submission periods um, rather than being open all the time because otherwise they would just get inundated with submissions. So during that open submission period in March of 2021, I sent it to her and um, she liked the project. She wanted to know if I had more of these poems. And of course I did because I had written more poems and some of them I hadn't included In in the final manuscript that I submitted, so I sent her additional poems she loved them she wanted to talk on zoom and as soon as we hopped on zoom I could just tell that she shared my my vision and my passion for this project. She asked what type of art, do you think would pair well with this what's your vision for the illustrations and I said, I want it to feel like like fine art, like something you could hang on your wall, um, not cartoony, not with those those black outlines that make it very cartoony. Um, I said, I just really want the art to be beautiful and I want the colors to really pop off the page, but it has to, it has to also be kid friendly. Not everything that's hanging in a museum is going to appeal to a kid, right? It can be beautiful, but it might not have that kid appeal. So I said, those are the two things that I want. And I felt like she agreed with me, she validated, you know, that vision. And we also found Annie Bax could really execute on that vision. I mean, I think her use of color is just is just beautiful.
0: She's incredible. Who found her?
1: Um, I actually found her, I think maybe on Instagram. And I sent I sent Sandra, you know, a couple of different different names of illustrators that I had seen on on Instagram that I Mm -hmm. I really liked their style. And I also was specifically looking for illustrators who had examples of animals, obviously, (laughs) because that's very important. There's no people.
0: Susan, Susan, do you realize that this is very rare because usually editors um, just pick their illustrators? Right. You never meet them, you just get the artwork.
1: Well that's I think that's the benefit of in some cases working at a smaller press that they really want especially cuz it's my debut I felt like Sandra really wanted it to be a book that we could both both be proud of so I she did ask for my ask for my input and um I really felt like that input was heard.
0: Well that's that's marvelous. Well as you know I have my debut book coming out next month. Congratulations. And, um, thank you and my uh my editor um really didn't ask me, he, he, he sort of asked me, but there was only one answer and that was yes. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, lucky, he's just phoned out. But lucky for me, lucky for me, uh, he picked a wonderful um, illustrator. But oftentimes, um, even if you pick the illustrator, okay, you're still, you know, you're, you're giving your baby up for adoption twice, right? You're giving it up to the editor and it's gonna be all kinds of changes. And um, you have to do them. And maybe it's not your vision. And and then you pick the illustrator and you get the artwork for your book. How, how did it feel when you when you saw the pictures?
1: It was even more beautiful than I had than I had pictured. I just was it was so it was so exciting to see these animals brought to life.
0: Were you, were, were, were you trepidating?
1: No, I was just really I was just really excited because I felt like we had picked the right illustrator who could execute on what I was hoping, hoping she would do. And I also saw that Annie had a number of examples of animals on her Instagram. There's no humans in my book, so it was really important that the illustrator be able to illustrate animals in a beautiful naturalistic, but also kid-friendly way and to portray the motion. And I felt like she did that beautifully.
0: Okay, so um, you are one of the um, authors uh, in the, I've interviewed over 80. You are one of the few who uh, had a traditional publishing deal without an agent. And that's incredible. So it can be done. It can be done. Uh, But I don't want people to misunderstand and think that, uh, you didn't have the right uh, stuff when you approached. Uh, you've been practicing for years. So, um, what did the practice entail? What do you tell young uh, asp- or old aspiring authors uh, <laughs> on their on their way to becoming the one in one thousand?
1: So much practice. And I think that because when I started on this KidLit journey, I had already been writing professionally for adults for almost 10 years. And so I kind of underestimated the learning curve that was involved because writing for kids is so different from writing for adults. When you're writing for adults, you don't have to think about using kid-friendly language. You don't have to think about leaving room for the illustrator. It is so different. Um, and I think I under underestimated that initially. Um, but now i've really immersed myself in the market i have read and studied over 2500 picture books i keep track on goodreads and i also segment my goodreads um books into different shelves like first person point of view second person point of view historical fiction nonfiction, poetry so whenever critique partners ask for mentor texts like tell me about picture books written in the second person, I have like a long list of books that I can share with them. And that's useful for me too, when I'm thinking about new projects, and what are the books that I can look to as mentor texts. I've also taken a number of classes at the writing barn here in Austin, and they are available um, to a lesser extent now in person, but it used to be a lot of in person classes before the pandemic. It's also very active online. I'm now a Writing Barn Fellow, so I TA for other instructors, and then next month, I'll be teaching my first Writing Barn class, so I'm really excited about that.
0: Okay, I I want to be in that class. Oh, it'll it'll probably be four in the morning.
1: I don't Hmm. uh, It's two o'clock Central Time, so I don't know what that is for, I don't know what that is. (laughs) um, Two
0: o'clock Central Time is about um, four in the morning. Yeah, I'm yeah. guessing it's an ungodly hour. Yeah, um, even I don't think there. God has ungodly hours, but human beings do.
1: For sure, I agree.
0: So that that's wonderful advice. I'm going to ask you now uh, to read yet another poem from your gorgeous book.
1: Okay. Any requests?
0: No, I just uh, each each poem has a different uh, poetry form. I want yep. you to read the sidebar also. It explains the, uh, the form of the poetry. So, I mean, this is really what I teach my students, you know, thinking between boxes. You know, science and art are, are much the same thing. And you, you've brought them together. I love it. I think thank you're wonderful. Thank you. All right. One of, one of my favorite Ketelet people is you, Susan.
1: Oh, thank you, Mel. I just love the colors in this illustration. This is the poem about the violet snail. And so this poetic form
0: Can you t- is- show us, show us the snail. Yeah. There you go.
1: Yeah. So this this poetic form is a persona. And a persona is a poem that uses a speaker or narrator who is clearly not the poet, in this case, a snail and this poem rhymes but personas do not have to rhyme so it says i sail upon a sudsy raft a work of mollusk handicraft my ombre shells a smart disguise to help me blend with seas and skies when hungry birds fly overhead they dine on other foods instead as schools of fish lurk underneath i drift away from fearsome teeth
0: it's brilliant and um, OK, the, 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 there's, there's classes of aquatic uh, and, uh, and, and also avian animals that, um, that have like camouflage above and camouflage uh, below. And, uh, and this is one of them. Um, so I'm going to have a, um, one of the um, greatest uh, um, uh, proponents of nonfiction on the show in a few uh, weeks, Melissa Edwards. Um, what 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 do you think about this argument? You know, there's an argument uh, that there's too many fiction book picture books and not enough nonfiction picture books. Um, and I know that you write beautiful fiction, but your success has come with a nonfiction book. What is your opinion on this, Susan?
1: Well, so interestingly, all but one of my work for hires are fiction, um, and all yeah they're all historical fiction which by the way any editors listening I love writing historical fiction (laughs) I love it um I think when when the editor approached me about would you be interested in writing historical fiction I think she was thinking that I would maybe say yes reluctantly but my reaction was yes because I grew up with reading all the American Girl books I still have some of them on my shelf um so I I just think that um, books are a wonderful way to get get kids excited about um, history and particularly when there's a, a young protagonist that's a great way to get bring history to life for kids. But the argument about fiction versus nonfiction, I, I, think, I think that both are necessary. We need, We need both on our shelves. Kids should be reading both. you know, some kids have a natural inclination to want to read more fiction or more nonfiction. Um, but I think we need we need both in our worlds, and we we should be we should be reading both. And in fact, there's two authors um, here in Austin, Lindsay Leslie and um, Kari Lavelle, who do joint author visits to schools. And one of them, um, Lindsay, writes fiction. And Kari writes nonfiction and so they they do a really fun like face off of fiction versus nonfiction and i've seen pictures and it just looks so fun, so I think we, I think we need both of them on our shelves, I think that um, tradition in the past nonfiction has gotten a reputation for being kind of dry and boring and textbooky and. You know, authors like Melissa Stewart have proved that you can write nonfiction in really fun and engaging ways. I hope that my book um does that does that. Melissa
0: Stewart, did I say that she would be on the show in three weeks? She will. Th-
1: Great. That's amazing. She's yeah, she's such a such a luminary and she's a master of of nonfiction picture books.
0: Okay. And um Susan, so um, We are coming close to the uh, wonderful surprise. And uh, one of the uh, things that brings us together is your love of music. Um, And uh, because you sing so much better than I do, um, (laughs) let's end the show with a song. And you've actually picked a song that's related to your new book. So before you sing the song, Animals in Surprising Shades by Susan Johnson Taylor launching on Tuesday, but you can buy it already and you should because it's beautiful and it introduces children to the wonderful world of nature and incredibly colored animals. The artwork is gorgeous. The poems are delectable. Is there a word delectable? Yeah. Hmm. Yes. What does it mean?
1: Kind of, it's it's a synonym for delicious. It's just really irresistible
0: absolutely and uh so what song did you decide to sing as if i didn't know
1: so one of the themes of this book is is celebrating animals in their in their many colors um some of these animals might be unusual like the pink manta ray is very unusual but like i said all of these all of these vibrant animals make our world more beautiful and more vivid. So I chose the Cyndi Lauper song, True Colors in celebration of that theme.
0: Go for it dear.
1: All right. I see your true colors shining through. I see your true colors. And that's why I love you. So don't be afraid to let them show your true colors. True colors are beautiful like a rainbow.
0: This has been a treat. So all of you who, who, so if you uh, wish, Susan, please add the, uh, your website and where people can hire you to write your amazing books and where people can buy your new book, Animals in Surprising Shades. you are a, a um, one of the true truly wonderful people in this in this business, if it's a business, which it sort of isn't. Um, you help. you have this huge mountain of knowledge, expertise. you're a go-to person. you're always willing to help to read a manuscript to give advice, um, sage advice, I must say. And um, I can't wait for our next interview because it will be when you, when you next get a book deal.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Mel.
0: Okay, so my name is Mel Rosenberg eh, and I am the host of the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network. And I've been talking to the wonderful Susan Johnston Taylor, talking about her brand new book, Animals in Surprising Shades from Gnome Road which launches on Tuesday. Run out and get it. Susan, it's been wonderful.
1: Thank you so much, Mal.
0: Take care, everybody.